there, turn to Exodus. Uh, we're in chapter 15 through 17, in the middle of chapter 15, and we'll go through the first part of 17. And uh, I, w- I was sitting with an accountability uh, partner recently, and uh, we were talking about how we're doing spiritually. Just how, how's it going? How are, how are things going in your life? And what came, what came out was that we both were struggling with idolatry over different things. Um, Neither of, of us were bowing down to Buddha or any statues of any kind. It wasn't that kind of idolatry, but we were dealing with what one author, Mike Wilkerson, calls the subtle significance of everyday desires and how they play into our lives and, 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 and masking our sin. For, for both of us, our struggles were regarding our reputation. What, what are people going to think of us. For me, it's wanting to be thought of well for my work, the work that I do, uh, you know, having a good re- reputation of, of working hard and pursuing excellence. And those desires are not necessarily wrong. They're good desires. They're, they're significant, everyday desires that God has even placed in us. The, the problem is when when natural or good desires mask our sin and idolatry. And one of the ways God chooses to deal with those problems, the problem of of idolatry or a greater desire that's just being masked by an everyday desire, is he tests us. He, He tests our obedience and our trusts. And he tests us not to be mean, He tests us not to play a cosmic game of who's the boss with us. He tests us so that we might find him all satisfying as the one who can satisfy every desire that we have. And sometimes he tests us by withholding good or necessary things from us for a time. And this is what he does for the children of Israel. In chapter 15, he withholds water and food from them for a short time to test their obedience and trust so that they might find him all satisfying. To test their obedience and trust is to say, to test their faith. Not to test the object, not to test the, the, the strength of their faith or the, the size of their faith or how much faith they have, but to test who they're trusting in so that they might find him all satisfying. I want you to think about this question as we work through the text this morning. Do you find God all satisfying? Do you find God all satisfying? If not, what do you think will satisfy you? So we pick up our story in Exodus 15, 22. Israel has just exited Egypt. God redeemed them out of Egyptian slavery. And they stand on the other side of the Red Sea, happy, having just sung their songs of deliverance. It's a mountaintop experience, you know? You remember youth camp, the mountaintop experience of youth camp that you just come off this big high and you, uh, you, you gave up all of the things that you were supposed to give up at youth camp and now you're gonna serve God and they're on the mountaintop experience. And redemption requires a response of praise, but it also 
demands a life of obedience. And, and we must not get the order backwards. Redemption, because they're redeemed, they're required a life of obedience. They, they did not obey so they could get redeemed. They were redeemed so that they could obey. But almost as soon as they finish the song of praise, they begin to worry. And that worry leads to suspicion and grumbling and anger. And little did they know, God was using their everyday desires to test their obedience and trust so they might find him all satisfying. Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log and he, Moses, threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God, your healer. And they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is God's word. So the first, the first scene, the first episode we have here in, in chapter 15, after they cross the Red Sea, is going into the wilderness. They turn from the Red Sea, and the thing that they face Right in front of them is a barren wasteland. And, and they think, you know, three days with no water. And, and the water they finally find after three days in Mara is bitter. It's polluted. It's polluted water that they can't drink. And the question is, would they trust and obey God or would they grumble against him? Their need for water was not the problem. Their desire for water to quench their thirst, uh, the desire that God gave them. It's, it's not a bad desire. And their response, though, was to grumble against God, the God-given deliverer, Moses. They complain against him, is, is what the word says. They grumble at Moses, the, the leader that God gave them. And how will Moses respond? In verse, 20, in verse 25 and 26, Moses cries to the Lord. How will Moses respond? He, he goes to the Lord in prayer, teaching us how we should respond when, when our desires turn to anxiety and worry and anger and, and fear. What should we do? He goes to the Lord in prayer. He pours out his heart to God. Like, what are we gonna do? God, what, what are we gonna do for water? I hadn't thought about this. What is God's response to their cry? The Lord showed him a log and told him to throw it into the water and the water became sweet or drinkable. We, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that God was the source of making this water drinkable. 
Maybe the, the log had some sort of properties that, that interacted with the properties of the water to make it drinkable. We don't know, but whatever it was, the Lord made them able to drink water. God's response to them is, is threefold. He graciously provides water so that they might trust him as all-satisfying. In response to Moses' prayer, even in response to their grumbling, God provides water that he, they might trust him as all-satisfying. Notice not only does he provide water, he graciously provides them a law that they might, that he might do good to them. In verses 25 and 26, he said, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give, him, give, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. So one of the questions is, as we get into this episode, this 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 show, this Netflix documentary on the Israelites in the Exodus is, will they be like Pharaoh and disbelieve God and disobey him? Or will they, will they harden their hearts or will they trust and obey God, Yahweh? So he graciously provides water. He graciously provides the law that he might do good to them so he wouldn't put all the plagues on them that he did to Egypt. And he, he graciously reminds them of his leading in verse 27. They came to Elam, uh, and, and there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. That's not just a throwaway line, friends. It's not just a, it's not just a, you know, a, a, a cute element of the story. In Exodus 1, the beginning of Exodus 1, who comes to Egypt to escape the slavery, to escape the famine, uh, uh, of, of the land in which they lived. Was it not Jacob's 12 sons? Jacob's 12 sons, here they are. They come down to Egypt to escape the, the famine uh, of Egypt, and there is, there is Joseph, the ruler, uh, second in charge in Egypt, and there he is to welcome his, his brothers and to provide them food so that they might live. And how many people came down and Exodus 1, 5, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. 70 people come down, and here they are at Elam. After they get water, there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and there they encamped by the water. Will God provide for them or not? And he's saying, yes, I will. I'll even show you by where I'm going to bring you with these 12 springs of water to drink in these 70 palm trees. Uh, the same God that has led you to Elam and is the same God that led you to Egypt to escape the famine, 12 and 70. It is also the same God who led you out of Egypt through the Red Sea, millions of people, now that they have prospered and they have gone through the Red Sea into the wilderness. So if I have done this, do you think finding a little drinkable water is hard for me? I'm letting you thirst now that you might be satisfied with me forever. So why this fear and unbelief? Having graciously provided for them what they cannot provide for themselves, he leads them on into the next episode. Chapter 16, verses one through eight. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. And after they had departed from the land of Egypt, 
And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, secondly, they not, first they had a test of obedience, and now they have the test of trust. This is the test of their faith, trust and obedience. And here we have again the subtle, subtle significance of everyday desires. A legitimate need and desire masking a greater sin of more significance. And as they turn from the Red Sea to the vast barren wilderness of the wilderness of sin between the Red Sea and Sinai, question, a legitimate question arises in their mind. What are we going to eat? Have you ever heard that on a road trip? <laughs> when are we going to eat? We just left like five minutes ago. What are you talking about? It, we don't know how long it was uh, that they went without food, but we do know it was one, approximately one month between the crossing of the Red Sea and this episode right here. Approximately one month. And they, question, they bring up the question about bread. There's nothing wrong with the question. What are we going to eat? But they didn't just ask the question, did they? They grumbled or complained against Moses and Aaron for bringing them into the wilderness to die of hunger. They, they, they start to blame God's leaders, God's deliverers, God's redeemers, uh, not believing the best about them, not giving them the benefit of the doubt. They were hungry and they said, you just let us out here to die. The problem was not that they were hungry, the problem is that they wanted life on their own terms. They wanted control and certainty. And the control and the desire for control and certainty led them to anxiety and anger and escapism. That, that's what we see in this episode. They, they grumble they, over the anxiety of what are we going to eat, legitimate question. That anxiety, that, that question turns into anxiety, which turns into anger against Moses and Aaron, which then turns into escapism. Oh, that we were back in Egypt with the, with the meat pots and all this food that we had. They, they, were try, they were actually escaping to something that wasn't actually real. It's most likely that slaves in Egypt actually didn't eat meat. And they're saying, oh, it was better in Egypt, but it would have been better for the Lord to kill us in Egypt because at least we wouldn't be hungry there. They want life on their own terms, friends. Do you ever find that in your life? Wanting control and certainty and life on your own terms as if you know better than what God knows? I'm the same way. Do you want just enough money in the bank that you would never have to worry about anything again? Do you want good enough grades in school to assure you of the six-figure salary that you know you deserve and that you know you need to have certainty and control in your life? Or maybe it's something different. Maybe you got looked over for the all-star team, and that's just a little too much for you. You worked hard. You're better than the coach's son. I know you are, but you didn't get picked or that girl, or that guy, they didn't pick you. Or you didn't get that promotion. 
Friends, this, all of this is life on our own terms. It's, it's leading the, our legitimate desire for love and affection or, or bread or water can lead to anxiety, which can lead to ang- anger, which can lead to escapism. They wanted life on their own terms. They wanted life insurance, and then they wanted to insure the life insurance just in case. You know, a lot of the language I'm using is from this book Cameron gave to me. Let me borrow. Sorry, you didn't give it to me. <laughs> it's called Redemption, Freed by Jesus from the Idols We Worship and the Wounds We Carry. I've only read one chapter, but it's, it, was, it, was, it was excellent. It was, it was really helpful. And he relates this story of a girl named Lisa. And uh, Lisa longed, she, she ordered her life around food. And uh, she ordered her life around food in such, in such a way that she would, she would lie to people about, about her, her dieting habits and, 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 and the like. Uh, come to find out, Lisa actually had a really tough home life growing up. And, and, and Lisa didn't get the affection from her mother and father that, that she desired and quite frankly needed. To, to live a, a healthy life. And what Lisa did was to try to control her food in such a way that her body would look a certain way and guys would notice her and like her. Lisa was longing for affection and, and then desiring to control her life so she could get what she wanted. This is it, friends, the, 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 the subtle significance of everyday desires like that. We need to get down to the to root of the problem of our sin. What are we struggling with? What, what is behind all of this? What is behind Lisa's desire for a, a, a affection? She didn't get it from her mom and dad. Who should she have tried to get it from? She thought men would satisfy her, but it wasn't that. Only God is all satisfying. Only God can satisfy us. Friends, as, as we all struggle with this, we lead, that leads to anxiety and anger and escapism, let us look to the promises of God. This is, this is what God wanted Israel to do. Notice in verses four and five, what God promises them. God graciously tests them, but his tests involve these beautiful promises. You, you hunger for bread, I'm gonna give you bread. He promises them bread in four and five. He also promised, promise, he has the promise of the law. If you, if you will do this, if you will obey me in, this, in these matters and, and follow me, then, then I will bring you into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. You won't have to worry about being living hand to mouth anymore. You won't, you won't have to worry about the pantry being bare. You won't have to worry about being anxious. He promises them this law. He promises them bread and law. And finally, he promises them his presence in verses four and five. These beautiful promises that aren't fully realized yet are, met, are meant to meet our anger, anxiety, our escapism, all those ways we respond to the things that we need but we are deprived of. And he says, believe my promises. These are the promises made. Will he fulfill them? Will the promises turn to reality? The rest of this episode shows God's gracious response, (coughs) excuse me, to a grumbling people. 
He not only promises, sorry, he fulfills his promises in verses 9 through 12, where it reads, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat in the morning, and you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So in response to the grumbling and Moses' prayer, God responds with a promise and then a fulfillment. And the first thing he fulfills is the most important thing. He promises that he will be with his people. His presence is right there. The glory of the Lord comes down in the wilderness, that wilderness that they were afraid of. And God says, and Moses tells them, look to the Lord. And there his glory is displayed. He's promised to be with them. And there he is. Promise kept. If he is here, I don't have to be angry. If he is here, I don't have to be anxious. If he is here, I don't have to escape. Behold the glory of the Lord. He provided food for them. He provided above and beyond. He provided meat and bread for them. Not only his presence, but meat and bread. Notice in, in verses 13 through 21, in the evening the quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. The omer is about uh, two quarts. And, And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. and Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Friends, this, this test is about trust. Trust and obedience. Trust that results in obedience. So they were supposed to gather enough for the day, and, and, and they would have to go to bed wondering, will it be there in the morning? They had to go to bed not having a pantry full of food, not, not having a refrigerator full of food. They had to go to bed trusting God that it would be there in the morning as he said it would be. This was life on God's terms, not theirs. It's not comfortable. It's not always pleasant in the moment of our testing but it is definitely life on God's terms. If it was up to them, they would have had a manna and meat dispenser that they could have gone to, you know, 
put some coins in or whatever, and uh, out comes whatever they want when they want it. But these were not their terms. These were God's terms. And he's telling us we must come to him, we must come to God on his terms and in his ways. And doesn't that make sense? If he really is a God and creator of everything and, and perfect in every way, his terms would be the best terms. He's not doing this to be mean or to flex on them, right? He's not, he's, he's not just flexing on them to show them how strong he is. He's, he's showing them that they can trust him, that he's good and powerful for enough for them to trust them trust him, to go to sleep at night trusting that he's going to keep his word. He's going to do good for them so that they might see him as all satisfying. Dear friend, controlling your life will only end in sorrow because you and I are going to mess it up. And this testing that you're currently in right now, at this moment, God has promised you, if you will trust him, if you trust him and him alone, he is going to see you through it. But the controlling of our life only ends in sorrow, and that's exactly what Israel does. They mess it up. God said, only gather two quarts for each person in your house, and don't leave anything left over. But in order to hedge their bets, in case God wasn't good on his word, some of them hoarded food. Wouldn't you be tempted to do the same thing? I, I would. Like, you know, what if God just like forgets or, you know, decides I need more testing? What if I just held a little bit over? That way I won't be hungry in the morning. Why do we do that? Why do we hedge our bets? They did it because they didn't trust God. They didn't see him and his word as all satisfying. They didn't see his presence as enough. And that's what some of us are doing. We're hedging our bets. You know, one of the ways the New Testament applies this passage is about generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem were going through a very hard time and, and famine-like conditions, and, and their response to the, the churches in Asia Minor was to take up an offering for them. And, and, and Paul is challenging the church of Corinth, they were a very wealthy church, to, to match the giving of other churches and to be generous. And he says in, in verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack so in, in, in one way, in the New Testament, in, in, in our day and age, we can apply this to our own generosity. We can apply this, this trust of God and his goodness and his promises made are also as sure as his promises kept. If we give of ourselves in, in any way that depletes our bank account or, or, or our safety net or our rainy day fund, will God provide for us or will he not? And he's saying, in this way, you can test me, test me, be generous and, and give to the church of Jerusalem, to the people that have needs, to, 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 to the good work of the gospel and see if, if I won't provide for you in every way that you need. 
that God provides for them bread and meat, and even as he provides his, his presence, his law, and then the very food that they desire, what, what they did was to hoard some food because they just weren't trusting God. And God knew that they needed some rest from this. And so that's what he provides in the next section, the next part of this episode. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, to two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning. And as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find in it, it in the field. You'll not find it in the field. Six days shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath day, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore, on the sixth day he gives you the bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day so the people rested on the seventh day. God not only promises rest, he provides rest for his people. The one day he tells them to hoard, to gather more than enough for two days, that's the day they actually go out. Instead of resting they, the, and, and taking the rest of provision that God had given them that they needed to know that they couldn't provide for themselves, only he could, that very day they go out to work. Friends, isn't, isn't that just like us? Isn't that just like you and me? Uh, we try to earn our salvation all the time. It. Did God not say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? And yet we try to earn his favor. We try to earn his justification. Maybe if I just read my Bible a little bit more, Jesus will be happy with me. I'll be justified just a little bit more. If I give a little bit more, if I work a little bit harder, if I do a little bit more, God is saying, I've given you rest I've given you rest. Don't, don't go out and do it. I've given you rest. This visible reminder, this reminder of his provision of rest is here in the episode for our own good, for their good, and their example is for our own good that we might enter into his rest as well. And lastly, in chapter 16, he gives them a visible reminder of his presence and provision. You, you, you want a visible reminder? Here, here it is. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I feed you in the, fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept 
The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable place. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the 10th part of an ephah. Here it is. God says, I'm going to give you a visible sign, just like the Lord's table. It's gonna give you a visible sign to remind you of what I've done for you in the wilderness, this, this land of testing, this, this time of trial in your life. Every Sunday, we get to see the Lord's table, the body and the, and, and the, the blood of Christ displayed for us in, in symbols to, to remind us that through our testing and through our wilderness, God has always been there. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. This, this visual reminder, God had tested their obedience and their trust in order to show them that he will provide for them what they cannot provide for themselves. God's going to do this. This, this is what this testing in the wilderness is. It's, it's not to make their faith bigger or stronger. It's to show them that they only God can provide for them these things. Salvation. And as he leads them from one test to the next, testing their faith, the show, the episode, this show ends with them testing God. He tests their obedience. He tests their trust. And now they test God. Chapter 17. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Uh, same song, second verse, right? A little bit louder, a little bit worse. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these, this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So, so two times at the be, beginning and at the end, it, Moses tells us that they tested the Lord. And, and we, here we read that they are testing the Lord. And for, for a second time, their want is for water. They're, they're thirsty. They're, have you ever been thirsty? It's a hard workout or, or uh, on a long trip or on a long hike and you didn't pack enough water and you're thirsty. And uh, that thirst leads to some sort of anxiety. And thirst and hungry, hu hunger can lead to anger. We, we all know the term hangry and we've all been there maybe even this week. 
And yet, here they are, again, for a second time. We're thirsty, and you brought us out to kill us. They're basically accusing God, friends, because these are God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. They're basically saying, you guys didn't plan enough, you're not good enough leaders, God didn't give us good enough leaders. And so Moses said, this isn't against me, again, this is against God. And when natural desires are deprived, sometimes it reveals disobedient and untrusting hearts. God is testing their trust in him and revealing their need for him. But now they are testing God in the wrong way. God says, sometimes you can test me. Test me uh, and, and see if I won't do what I said I will do. Typically, that's you giving up something of yours that you have to depend on God. But now they're testing God, saying you didn't give us what we wanted when we wanted it. So Moses again cries to the Lord, he prays, and God answers him and says, take the staff, that same staff that you touched the Red Sea with and it split and became salvation for God's people and judgment for God's enemies, you take that staff and you go and I will be with you. And this strange thing happens. He says, go strike the rock. That staff that brought judgment on Egypt and salvation for God's people was now supposed to strike a rock. And this, this miracle, there's no other way to explain it, but God let water come out of the rock. Striking the rock with the staff was a symbol of judgment. Judgment must come on the rock if the people will be saved from a death of thirst. And lo and behold, 1 Corinthians 10, none of us would have saw it coming tells us that the rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. It's a, it's a symbol that Christ was actually present with them. It wasn't just any God. It was God in Christ present with them. And that striking of the rock was a symbol of something much greater that will happen years and years on down the road. In a sermon called God on Trial... Ed Clowney describes a play about a group of people who put God to the test. They wanted to know who was responsible for the Holocaust, the destruction of millions of Jews and others in Nazi concentration camps. Who was to blame? The play is called The Sign of Jonah, and it was written by Gunther Rutenborn. And it was first performed in West Berlin shortly after World War II. And the play not only asks the question, who's to blame, who's to blame, but it also draws both the cast and the audience into the answer. No one is really to blame. A stormtrooper merely followed orders. An industrialist merely kept up production. A citizen simply did not become involved. Yet in defending their own innocence, each of the accused becomes an accuser. All are guilty. Some are guilty by words, others by silence. Some by what they did, others by what they did not do. And suddenly they, the accused accusers all take up the cry, we are to blame. Yes, but we are not the most to blame. The real blame belongs much higher. God is to blame. God must go on trial. And the play goes on. So, so that is what the people do. They put God on trial. 
In the play, God is accused, prosecuted, convicted, and sentenced. And what is the sentence? The characters decide that God must become human being, a wanderer on the earth, deprived of his rights, homeless, hungry, thirsty. He himself shall die and lose a son and suffer the agonies of fatherhood. And when at last he dies, he shall be disgraced and ridiculed because God is to blame. Friends, all of those things actually happened in the person of Jesus Christ. He came not as the one to blame, but to take the blame. Not just any blame, your blame, my blame. He came to wander the earth, deprived of his rights as homelessness. He was hungry and thirsty. He himself died. God gave his son in our place to be disgraced and ridiculed. Friends, God was put to the test, and he passed that test. He died on a cross for the sins of the world. He gave up his body and his blood. He died so that you might have life. And what he requires of us is is to turn to him and trust him. Is this trust and obedience to believe in him and him alone for life. So he suffered the judgment we deserve. The staff that came down on the rock, that judgment came down on Christ on the cross. And what poured out of the rock was life for God's people. And what poured out of Christ, metaphorically, was life for everyone who will believe. So you wonder, how will I get through this testing? How will I get through this this trial of my faith? Look to Jesus. He's all satisfying. Put your trust in him and obey him. Not in order to be redeemed, but because you are redeemed. Jesus Christ has provided, in, in Christ, God has provided the thing we cannot provide for ourselves. Forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. He's all satisfying, dear friends. And he loves you. Turn to him. I'm gonna give us some, a time of, of quiet uh, in, in, uh, in order to respond before Jacob comes up. And, and I, I don't know what is on your heart. I don't know uh, what he, how he's dealing with you in this moment. But we're just gonna take a, some time of silence before Jacob comes and, and prays and um, respond to God. Pour out your heart to him in repentance and faith. That repentance just means turning to him from your sins. Turning to him and asking for forgiveness and and repenting and and trusting in him alone as all satisfying. The only one that can satisfy you. I give you a moment of silence. Silence.